This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and every week on this show, I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. And while running is what brings us all together on these episodes, I'm looking for just a little more. So join me right here every Thursday to learn about the decisions people have made to get where they are today, the good ones and those bad ones, and how getting sweaty has factored in. When I started running about a decade ago, I knew nothing about professional running. I didn't even know it existed, and I definitely couldn't name any professional runners. Today, though, well, thanks to big media, social media, and some really smart, really dedicated, really passionate writers, editors, and reporters, names like Shalane Flanagan, Des Linden, and Dina Castor are mainstream. So today, I am thrilled to welcome four of those passionate journalists to the first ever Alley on the Run Show Roundtable. Aaron Strout is an editor at Women's Running, who you may remember from episode 73 of the show. Sarah Lorge Butler writes for Runner's World. Lindsay Krauss covers sports and gender for the New York Times. She is the woman behind the byline of that huge Alicia Montano, Cara Goucher, Allison Felix dream maternity Nike story. And Allison Wade is the editor of Fast Women, which is an unbelievably comprehensive newsletter covering women's running at all levels. These women are brilliant, they're all runners, and they know their stuff. It was such an honor getting these four together to talk about what it's like being some of the women covering women's running. What are their relationships with the pros like? Are they competitive with each other when it comes to breaking big stories like Lindsay's Nike story? And according to them, what is the current state of the women's running industry? There's lots to get to here, so please welcome these four brilliant women to the Alley on the Run show. Sarah, Lindsay, Erin, and Allison, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I am so excited to be doing this with all of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. All right, so we're going to let everyone listening get to know your voices a little bit before we jump in, since there's going to be a lot of us talking, which is going to be so fun. So Sarah, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. Tell us who you are and who you write for. Thanks for having me, Allie. I write for Runner's World. I don't even know my official title anymore. I think I'm a contributing writer. But, uh, and I'm based in Eugene, Oregon. Amazing. Lindsay, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I think a lot of people have seen your byline more than ever in the past week. Tell us where you're based and who you write for. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been a, a lifelong runner pretty much since uh, high school and um, really into marathons now. I think I've done like 11 now. Um, I'm based in New York and I uh, write and report on endurance sports for the New York Times. Yay. Aaron Strout, you are no stranger to the Ollie on the Run show. You've been here before, but remind everyone where you live. Tell us the names of your dogs because we know them too and who you're writing for right now. Hi, it's good to be back. I am calling in from Flagstaff, Arizona, and my dogs are the most wonderful dogs in the world named Marley and Sailor, and right now I am the senior editor at Women's Running Magazine. Very exciting. And Allison, I think this is the first time there have been two Allisons on the Alley on the Run show at the same time that both spell it correctly too. So Allison, welcome to the show. Tell us who you are and what you do. Thanks for having me. And um, I am 
outside of the Boston area, and I currently write for um, my own publication, I guess, um, the Fast Women newsletter. Excellent. All right. So everyone who's listening should be following all of you and all the work you're doing. And I just want to say, I admire and look up to all of you so much, which is why I've been so excited to do this. I just think when I look at the world of running right now, especially obviously women's running, you're the four women whose bylines I want to see and can't wait to read. So thank you for being here. Do you all know each other in real life? Um, we're not all in the same place, so I don't think we all um, know each other, you know, face to face, but I've definitely been in touch with everyone and really admire everyone's work. So I've always wondered if there's like a group text with the four of you and other women journalists like bouncing ideas off each other, or are you competitors? Well, if there's a group text, no one included me, but um, <laughs> I, I do have interaction with like most of you a lot of the time. I wouldn't say we're competitors. I think the space is, you know, quite small and therefore I've really looked at, you know, especially in the past week or two weeks, um, doing that reporting on Nike and maternity leave, I was really um, deeply moved actually by sort of the solidarity of the other women, both on this podcast and just kind of like generally out there that kind of backed up that reporting because the Times can only do so much in terms of starting a conversation and it's up to everyone else to continue it and um, I really felt like everyone did that times a million and um, hope that I do the same, you know, just from my own platform with your guys's reporting as well. Um, it's a, such a small space that we really need each other to elevate each other. Well, and huge congratulations on that. I mean, the, the pieces with Alicia, with Allison Felix, I mean, you're literally making change happen, not just with Nike, however, that may all keep playing out, but with so many companies that have decided to step up or, or companies that have stayed silent. So Lindsay, how are you feeling right now being about a week or two out of all of this getting started? Yeah, I was really astonished by the um, by the reaction to that uh, report that I did in the Times with Alicia and Cara, Alicia Montano and Kara Goucher and Allison Felix and Phoebe Wright. I mean, I've been working on that for about a year um, in the opinion section. I have a new boss, and he was really excited about the reporting that I've done for the Times and Endurance Sports, and just asked me to kind of like move a needle on something, um, but was pretty broad about what that might be. Um, and, you know, I'd known about this information as had a lot of us for a number of years. It, it was kind of like an open secret and really hard to get people on the record about it. I'd even reported it in kind of a around the bush, like vague way, maybe back in 2014. And um, so I wasn't really sure what the reaction was going to be um, when we kind of went all in on it. Um, I felt like it was much beyond, um, in both the public and the industry perspective, um, much beyond what I expected. Um, and that was, again, part of because everyone else in this group um, and, you know, beyond that, just the industry kind of took those themes and, um, you know, blew them out on their own. And so I was really grateful for that. So it's been amazing, like you said, seeing the reaction, seeing other people pick up this story. How many of the outlets or the specific writers that ended up also covering this, talking about it, even just tweeting about it, how many were women and how many were men? Did you see many reaction pieces coming from male writers, editors, influencers, publications? 
Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, and it speaks to why I think uh, female writers and, you know, female athletes voices are really essential um, in terms of having platforms. I think social media has actually been an amazing democratizer in that way. Um, but it actually was mostly women that kind of picked up particularly the very specific element of how women can combine motherhood um, and professional careers, especially at an athletic athletic level. Um, I felt like that was really a woman-driven conversation. Men were terrific allies in terms of um, kind of broadening it out in ways that I was hoping. Of course, we were really narrow in our focus um, in showing that, uh, you know, this is a convert. We were narrow in terms of actually trying to change up you know, a policy or a lack of policy around maternity leave, but obviously this conversation is so much bigger than that. Um, I felt like men were really good at kind of broadening it out and saying like, you know, health insurance is an issue. Like just the idea that runners are, uh, runners are independent contractors and have no protections at all. Like men were really good at extending that conversation in ways that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to in the bandwidth that we had for the reporting. But I would say it was really women that, um, you know, took on the fundamental core of the reporting and really kind of um, sounded the alarms. It was the women here for the most part, um, uh, and of, of course, many others. But I, I do feel like there, I was really hoping that, you know, perhaps one male athlete, at the very least, um, even perhaps not a runner, perhaps not a, a Nike athlete, might have um, picked up that mantle. I think there's still an opportunity to really emerge as a champion for for female athletes broadly, obviously this wasn't just an issue facing runners, but it was definitely mostly women. That's kind of what I, it's kind of what I figured and what I saw as well. So yeah. um, it's interesting to hear your perspective. For the rest of you, I'm curious when a story like this happens, one that just goes totally viral, everyone's talking about, creates actual change in the running game. As a fellow journalist, are you psyched because? Yay, maternity leave, or, or you know whatever the topic might be, or is there a little bit of like? Damn, I wish I had written that. I think at Women's Running, obviously, you know, we're we're kind of um, at a transition time right now. So I'm always excited to see other outlets jumping on issues that are important. And this one's obviously like a huge issue for our audience, um, even broadly. Um, maybe not so specific to elite runners, but in our runner in our audience's lives, like obviously parental leave is a huge issue. Um, and so just to, you know, we're, we're hoping to kind of add to the conversation at some point, um, soon here, but we're not at that point yet. So just, um, being able to, you know, see the work that Lindsay's done and, uh, sort of what these athletes are saying and what they're hoping to accomplish. Um, I think, you know, getting that conversation started and, you know, it opens as Lindsay knows and everybody on the line here knows it opens a can of worms in a lot of different directions that I think all of us um, in different ways can tackle. And I think that's great. So Aaron, when you were on the show last time, you talked a lot about the wonderful Sarah Lorge Butler, who's here with <laughs> us today, and that you two have known each other for so long and worked together for so long, for a long time at Runner's World. You're at two different publications now. Has that changed anything for the two of you, for your relationship? Are you competitors now? What does that look like? Um, well, Sarah can chime in. Um, I'll, I mean, I don't, I feel like even though the, you know, running is a very small world, it's still like our audiences are very different. And I'm just, just starting to get to know the women's running audience. But it's so funny because 
I will write something that like, or we'll post something that probably would have elicited, you know, all sorts of snark on the Runner's World Facebook page. But like our audience embraces it, loves it. There's no like terrible comments on Facebook. And I just laugh because I'm like, this is such a different world, even though it's all running related. And so no, I don't feel like we're competitors at this point, but I do miss terribly the opportunity to like bounce all ideas, all thoughts, everything off of Sarah because we've been doing it for so long and I so value her input and feedback. Um, so that part I really miss. <laughs> yeah, we have a, a Slack channel and um, Aaron and I usually ping each other, you know, pretty much throughout the day. And um, Allison and I separately email each other pretty much throughout the day. We've got to get Allison on Slack. It's just faster. But, um, and Lindsay too. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's just been weird sometimes to have like long periods of silence when I'm wondering like, huh, is Erin out walking her dogs or is she working on something that I'm also working on? And yeah, it's just kind of to not feel like I can you know, just immediately ask her something. But that reminds me, I have to tell you, Erin, about a crazy email I got earlier today, but I'll save that for after. Um, <laughs> I want to hear about the crazy email. Now we all want to hear about the crazy email. So someone here needs to start the Slack channel for all of us. We need to know. It's funny, last week, I was reporting about the positive drug test for the woman who won the silver medal in Rio. And I'm like texting Shalane and previously when, Erin was working at Runner's World, you know, she would have, she just sort of naturally became the Shalane Flanagan contact. And so that was just really odd. Um, and was like, oh, I wonder if Erin has already talked to Shalane about this topic. But yeah, it's been a little, it's, it's been an adjustment, you know, sort of not working on the same team. But I still know, you know, I can run things by her at any time, which is great. And, you know, just your previous question about, about Lindsay and seeing her story, you know, it's like, yeah, it was just great to see that story come out about Alicia. And it's it's so weird because it's like something we've kind of all known for a long time. Was it like, oh, women in pro running, a lot of them are treated really poorly when they get pregnant. And that there's this feeling that for a lot of people, it's just the end of their career. But I was like, why why haven't we written about that? But it's just one of those sort of like poorly kept secrets. I give Lindsay a lot of credit for sort of taking a step back and writing about something that you know, a lot of people have sort of known and come to accept for a long time and just asking like, why is this so? And this doesn't really, you know, have to be this way. And then when the, when the Alice and Felix news came out, that one just stunned me. I mean, I just was like, I was just so bummed by that. I mean, I was emailing Allison and slacking with Aaron, like, I don't know, I, like the journalist in me just disappeared and I just woke up the next day just feeling totally bummed out. Like if Allison Felix can't get any protections around maternity leave, like where are we? Like this is just terrible. So, I mean, it's no worse than Alicia, but man, I was shocked. So yeah. nice work, Lindsay. Yeah, seriously. Uh -huh. So do you think that Runner's World would have been able to do a story like that? I'm, you know, because let's be honest, like I don't know if they advertise right now, but like, I have to imagine that at some point Nike is an advertiser and with brands like women's running and, and runner's world, a lot of these brands that may or may not be doing great things, they're advertisers. So is that something runner's world would have even been able to do? It's a really good question. And like running is a very small world and the entanglements are everywhere. And, um, 
yeah, I would, I would worry a little bit about, about that somewhat, even though um, I haven't really seen an official policy now that um, Hearst owns Runner's World, you know, what the corporate parents feeling is about writing about situations in terms that, that pertain to our advertisers. So yeah, I'm not entirely clear on that right now, but just say that running is, is really small and it's a relationship business and it's like kind of something that's always in the back of, in the back of your mind. I mean, I remember I was reporting a story in 2016 about how the Olympic marathon trials had a bunch of snafus, like not enough, you know, water stops and not enough, um, medical attention for runners that were dropping like flies. And I mean, I was really kind of taking my time with it, but making a lot of phone calls and asking a lot of uncomfortable questions. And um, my boss got a phone call like from the LA Marathon people, like, what the heck is going on over there? What are you guys doing to us? This isn't fair, you know? And it, and then, you know, he came in and talked to me about the story and of course read drafts, but, you know, ultimately, you know, let the story run as it needed to run. So uh, I think it's just on a case-by-case basis. So in general, for all of you, is it hard to be critical of anything in the running industry when you also want to elevate it? We all want to elevate women's running, whether it's on the professional level or the recreational level. That's what we're all here to do, right? But what about when, yeah, you need to be critical about something? Is that challenging? Has anyone else had similar instances like what Sarah just said? I actually, I would, I would take that quickly. Um, I felt like this piece, I kept wondering as I was reporting it out, I was like, is this an anti-Nike piece? And ultimately I was like, actually, no, this is a pro-Nike piece. This is a pro-athlete piece. This is a challenge to Nike to help the institution follow through on the messaging that it cares about so clearly in its advertising, like, but it's literally staked its entire corporate reputation on. I don't think the marketing team, I don't think the entire institution knew what necessarily women were thinking because they, women didn't feel like they could tell anyone without perhaps, you know, an institution like the times behind them. And so I, at first I was like, is this going to be like really bad for the brand? And I mean, maybe the, initial hiccup of it could be that it's bad for you know the company i'm sure people weren't thrilled when we published the allison felix um situation where she finally said what she'd been dealing with for you know more than two years with them um or i guess approximately two years with them um but at the same time i think the long-term benefit to the athletes and therefore the industry and therefore also to nike who supports and stakes its reputation on these athletes might actually be a positive thing and so um, to me, it was more like highlighting an issue and issuing a challenge to Nike to do something about it. And I know that progress is going to be incremental. It's not going to come easy, but I do think being pro athlete is also pro sponsor, um, in, in many ways. And so I, I did ultimately look at it that way as a, as a positive challenge, not, not just an indictment. Oh, I love that. And so Allison, you are taking all of this, all of what everyone is doing and compiling it into one place, one super comprehensive newsletter. I need to know, like, how in the world are you able to consume so much, boil it down? And I mean, every week you mentioned like 12 different podcasts you listen to. (laughs) How are you making time of this? And Sarah, you edit the newsletter, right? Yes. But I mean, when I say edit, like it takes me, you know, anywhere from 45 minutes to maybe like a second, 45 minutes 
after we go back and forth a little bit, like compared to what Allison does hours each week, I mean, it's, for me, it's an enjoyable 45 minutes on a Sunday afternoon. So, I mean, she does a lion's share of the work. She does 99% of it. Yeah. So Allison, how are you doing that? Can you tell me like, what are some of your main go-to sources? Where are your favorite places to get all of the best women's running news? And where, where, yeah, like, how are you doing this? How are you getting it all together? <laughs> and, and I want to know the answer to that too, because um, I want to know your secrets. It's, it's like, I think the secret is that there is no secret because it's just, it is a time consuming process. Like I have Google news alerts. I have people's RSS feeds that I'm following um, through Feedly, but then a lot of it is just social media. And so, I mean, there, I used to sort of more casually follow all this and just like whatever I saw, I saw. Now I feel a little bit more like I need to actually look. So like before I would go weeks without even looking at Twitter and now I feel like, okay, I got to scroll through Twitter. So I think a lot of it is just in who you follow. And I think that's one of the reasons I decided to start the Fast Women newsletter is that there is so much stuff out there now, but it is really hard to, you know, find it all and find what's important. And I think I saw people writing articles where I was like, oh, they should have listened to this podcast or whatever. So I think that's why I felt like it would actually be a valuable thing. And as for the podcasts, I like listen to them whenever I'm doing a boring task and given my current life, I do a lot of those. So like grocery shopping, chopping vegetables, you know, like whatever, <laughs> folding laundry. I just listen to podcasts. Well, it is very impressive though. I have you to blame for really, really being behind schedule on Monday mornings because I just lay in bed and read the entire thing. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, cool. I'm glad I woke up an hour ago and have been laying here, but it's just, it's so good and it's so comprehensive and it's such a great addition to the women's running community. So power to you. You're doing an amazing job. Yeah, I would actually, I would say I reached out to, um, to Allison when I was trying to report the Nike piece and um, asked her, you know, do you know what the current situation is around contracts? And she wrote back, she was like, you know, frankly, there isn't a lot of information I don't know. And that made me feel totally confident that there was not a ton of on the, there, that there was no on the record information around this issue. Like it was only when she told me that, um, that she didn't know that I had a feeling that this would you know, at least be additive to the media landscape. Yeah. And Allison like has been following this for so long and so comprehensively that I think her brain sees patterns like uh, long before any of us notice them. And then she writes about them in her newsletter and then we're all like, oh, of course. But I mean, I've just been having email conversations with Allison for a long time, especially in the past year. And I don't know, like things like I'll be like, oh, I was at Nike Cross Nationals and I just feel so bad for the kids that finished behind like Caitlin Tuohy. Like there's always this girl who's always second. She's in New York State. She's been second her whole life to Caitlin Tuohy. And Allison writes back, she's like, well, yes and no. I don't really feel that bad because like, look, think how much better, you know, Caitlin Tuohy has made these other runners around her. And it was just like a fresh take. And then I started feeling less bad for people who are constantly... <laughs> Finishing <laughs> second, but I mean, yeah. just always got, I think, a fresh, like, interesting take on things because 
I don't know, because she's just been following it for a really long time. And she's Because like, I remember Emily Sisson when she was in ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> but I would also say that Allison's criticism, whenever she issues it, is very fair. Um, it's never, uh, I, think, I think any small industry can get divisive very and almost vitriolic quite quickly. And uh, it's, it's rare to see uh, critiques or, or hot takes issued in a very calm, neutral way. It almost... Um, it almost evinces kind of like, uh, you know, certain ideas of how women's reporting should be. I think you're actually just like doing that um, in a way that I've really respected and admired um, ever since you started. Well, you. I like, I'm curious from the four of you, do you read the comments in general for the things that you write? Are you reading the comments or are you just submitting to editor and walking away? I totally read the comments. Um, first of all, our our readers are great about pointing out like typos or factual errors. Like I think they're important to read. And I mean, I don't know. I just think sometimes people, yeah, bring up stuff that I hadn't thought about or yeah, bring it up in a different way. And sometimes I get story ideas from comments. I don't know. I think you have to have a thick skin, but I, I think there is some value there. Do you all have thick skin? <laughs> yes. You do? Yeah. You have to, I guess, right? Yeah, for sure. Right. Okay, so this is kind of a big picture question, but I, like I said, you're the four experts here. Talk to me about the state of women's running right now. What are you seeing? How are you feeling about the women's running community and world and industry right now? So I think one thing that really struck me off of the, um, off of the recent reporting was, first of all, just that female athletes have way more advocacy power and way more ability to draw an audience than I think I realize that maybe the Times necessarily always realizes. Um, and that really made me want to tap into it a lot more. I was really pleased with the investment that I got from, you know, a mainstream publication to highlight these women. And it really showed me that they have the power to potentially, you know, move policies far beyond them because America really does value, you know, Olympians. And it values women that do amazing things. And I think this really showed that. So that was exciting just to kind of see the power that women have. But I think when it comes to women's running, I'm sure everyone here, we're all going to agree that um, women are better than ever from the elites on downward and, um, you know, to the sub elites, just like, you know, women at a more immature level um, participating more than, more than they ever have, like even more than men in, in many races, like from a percentage perspective. And I think that's really exciting. And the one thing that I would add to that before I defer to everyone else is just that um, that really shows me that a lot of sports and sports coverage is based on male models. Like we all know this, but I think um, that's in, in, I think distance running in general, in some ways this might be controversial, but it's less covered because sports in general is covered off of a male perspective. And I think that we could actually invert that when it comes to promoting women's sports um, because women, male, male distance runners don't always, you know, there's a lot more, there's, that space is a lot more crowded. Um, there are a ton of male athletes, you know, in the big male, in the big four sports, but in women, but in women's running, they're some of the best athletes in the world. And I think it really shows me that if you report off of a female sports perspective, Given how good American women are right now, um, they they could be leading the way in terms of endurance sports um, coverage, as opposed to waiting for the men to be covered first, and then we bring the women along with them. We could look at the women first, and then bring the men along as in, in our coverage of women's sports. 
obviously I'm excited about the women's running space right now <laughs> because that's my audience. Yeah, I think like Lindsay said, there's there there are so many stories on the elite level to be told. Um, but what I'm I think most excited about right now are the ages of women who are discovering running, like late in life or having break having coming coming back to running after taking a long break, whether it's due to having kids or family or career or whatever the reasons may be. But we're seeing like more women coming back to it um, and finding that they're still successful at it um, in whatever way they define success. But um, I think, you know, some of our most popular stories in the past like two months that I've been working at Women's Running are these sort of, you know, comeback stories or stories of women that are doing incredible things like in their 40s, 50s, 60s. We just posted another Julia Hawkins story. She's 103 and she's like training to do the shot put in the 50 meter dash and the 100 meter dash of the senior games. And those are the most popular stories we have. And so I think there's, there's so many things to be covering right now in women's running. Like, I think there's, we need more than the four of us doing it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I feel like there's just a depth, like to the elite women runners, personally, that there maybe isn't I don't know. We've talked about this, Erin. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you say it. No, you <laughs> it's well, I, yeah. Do you want me to say it? <laughs> I have said this many times. I just find, you know, the, the elite women have, they're more well-rounded personalities. They have better followings. They have more to say. They have more going on in their lives that are relatable to the rest of the running world. Um, and the men just, there's, there's not that kind of depth on that side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think that that's like, I, I totally agree. And if, and if neither of you were going to say it, I was, because that was one of my questions that the women, from my perspective, that the women's, women's professional running has never been more accessible, more talked about. The fact that I know that when I started running about nine years ago, the only professional runner whose name I knew was Kara Goucher, but I don't think I actually knew who she was. I think someone said her name to me one time. And so I was like, okay, cool. So that's who I'll bring up in conversation. I'll just say Kara Goucher. That'll make me legit. Now, I mean, I can tell you like all the names of all their dogs, but I don't know how many professional <laughs> men I can actually, you know, not just name, but who I really feel invested in right now. And, and I know social media plays a big part in that, but all of you play a big part in that too, and helping make these people accessible and really elevating women's running to the everyday runner. Well, and I really want to hear Allison's thoughts on this as well, because I think she actually might be the ultimate authority, but I do think, I, I just want to reiterate that that's why I think that in coverage, you know, at least at mainstream publications like the New York Times, and I advocate for this intensely, I think that's why women's endurance sports coverage, particularly with distance running right now, should be leading the way, as opposed to, again, going off that very conventional male model of starting with men and letting the women follow, because I think the women are absolutely dominating here and leading the way. Yeah, and I would say not only are, people, are women leading the way um, sort of with social media, but I also think podcasting, like, and you, Allie, have a 
big role that you've played in that in terms of like some of the biggest podcasts that interviewed the top women runners um, were led by women. And I think that's been really cool. So we've gotten to learn about all these people more in depth. And then you have this audience that might not necessarily follow the pro side, but now they do a little bit because they've heard these guests on your show. Um, so I think that's really cool. And I, I, I just remember a few years ago, like one of my high school friends took up running and she knew about all these runners. And I, I was like, oh, like, you know, average runners know about the front of the pack now. That's so cool. And I think social media has just made such a difference in terms of helping us feel like we can interact with the, the best runners, but also connecting with one another. And like, there are so many communities to be found on social media, whether it's Instagram or even just like, you know, Facebook's a little bit out now, but like running groups that start on Facebook and, um, and even just like running discussion on Twitter. And I think that women are just finding new ways to connect and finding voices through that that they didn't have before. Time to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Aftershocks. Summer is prime running time. Whether you're gearing up for a fall marathon or you have a local 5K on the calendar, it's very likely you're spending your early summer mornings or late steamy evenings on the run. And I promise there is no greater training buddy than a pair of Aftershocks wireless headphones. In the past, training during the summer for me inevitably meant going through at least four pair of headphones. They'd get so sweaty that they would break every single time. Plus, is there any feeling ickier than having a headphone cord bouncing against your hot, sweaty chest when you're 16 miles into a 20-mile long run? Ugh. But Aftershocks takes care of all those problems. There are no cords, no wires, no tangles, and no weather-related issues. Aftershocks' wireless headphones are sweat-resistant and can hold up during even the gnarliest summer rainstorms. They're my favorite headphones, and I promise they'll be your favorite too. So it's time for you to get in on the Aftershocks action. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to get $50 off Trex Air and Trex Titanium Endurance Bundles. The bundles include the wireless headphones of your choice, a shoe bag, a sport belt, a cooling towel, and a water bottle. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off. Now let's get back to the show. So I want to know about some of your favorite voices. Sarah, I like that you were casually like, you know, I was texting Shalane and I was like, normally Aaron text Shalane. I'm like, hi, I could be added to that group text, guys. Like, throw me in there. <laughs> um, just such a casual name drop. Who are all of your favorite runners to interview or write about? Um, I think of Lauren Fleshman as sort of a philosopher queen of, um, of the running world. I think that she... I, I was really lucky in college when I ran cross country to, um, you know, to be around a lot of really smart, but also really supportive women that really valued teamwork. Um, and I think sometimes it's, it's both a benefit and also probably, you know, reporting is supposed to be totally objective. Um, but you can't help, but if you deeply personally connect to an issue to kind of, you know, confers various associations on people and, you know, in another life, I would have loved to have gone to Stanford and um, then she would have been my teammate there. And I kind of, I think, uh, again, confer like certain teammate mentalities on her at times in terms of just, you know, she's so smart. She, um, she really gets, she really understands how the things that are happening with, with women distance running connect to, you know, broader themes that we should be talking about with regard to women's issues overall. Um, and so I've really gotten a lot out of, um, you know, 
her observations in general. Yeah. Lauren's amazing. She's just, just brilliant. Everything she says is like a poem. I love her. Any other favorites? Des Linden over the years. And she's always like, she's very bright and very quietly insightful too. So I really have gotten to enjoy speaking to her and interviewing her over the years. But I mean, you know, going back to something that you asked earlier about being critical, like, I think it's important for people to realize that we're not friends or we shouldn't be friends with elite athletes. And um, nothing makes me crazier than like, I was at the Boston Marathon this year and there's like a woman with a press pass is like asking Jordan say after the race, if they can take a selfie together. And it's just so inappropriate. It's like, if anything ever were to go wrong or, you know, somebody has a bad race or worse, like an American elite, you know, fails a drug test, we would have to write about that and we would have to be critical. And, um, you can't necessarily, you have to keep a distance if you're gonna, if you're gonna do your job. So, I, I think people should realize that we are not, you know, we're not friends. We may be friendly, but we're not friends. I don't know. Maybe everybody knows that already, but. No, I actually don't think that people know that because I think actually now, especially with podcasts, right? Like, I mean, I do it when I'm talking to these people, it's super conversational and I'm like, oh, I feel like we're friends. It's very different than this is maybe not the best phrase to use, but it's very different than actual journalism. I don't consider what I'm doing here journalism exactly it is more conversational but i think people would actually assume like oh man like sarah got to hang out with des all the time or i think maybe from the outside not you because you're not posting selfies but i think people are more used to seeing that and when these athletes are so accessible i think that line does get blurred again not with you because you're all very professional but we see that a lot with bloggers influencers there's not really a line anymore. Yeah, we're reporters, not cheerleaders, for sure. Um, which, and I think, that, but I think that there is a line between, you know, runners. Runners, like all athletes, are paid to run. They're paid to win medals. That doesn't. They're not paid to, you know, be geniuses or really smart thinkers. And I think that that's fine. Um, but there are other really, really smart women. I mean, I I also remember this from college. It was like the women's cross country team on my team. They were geniuses in a lot of ways. And that that always stuck with me. And I have seen that among certain distance runners. I mean, I think Sarah Hall also, um, just revelatory comments. Um, also the the things that she posts on her social media, I find them really, really insightful in ways that, you know, I certainly don't need to be a cheerleader. I can still obviously be objective, but it's like, I think it's been really cool to see that American female distance runners are just like incredible thinkers and incredible quotes, um, you know, far beyond just the times that they're incredibly able to run. So as we're looking toward the the 2020 trials and the eventual Olympics, from all of your perspective as reporters, as not cheerleaders, as people who really know this industry, is it hard to watch things like the trials? Are you kind of, you know, in the back of your head rooting for certain runners or are you just watching the trials to see who the top three are going to be and how you're going to cover that story? I'm just watching to see who the top three are and I'm hoping for a really good story out of it. Like, I hope it's dramatic. I hope it's competitive. I hope something weird happens. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah, exactly. That was insane. 
it was crazy. And I got a great like Q and A from Shalane afterwards about like what happened and how it felt. And that was some, you know, that was some great race to write about. Um, and that yeah, it's, and you know, like this past Boston, I mean, somebody took off at mile five and it was all, all over. I mean, I might as well have gone to take a nap and come back and write the story. You don't want that to happen. I, I always think I don't have favorite runners, but then there are moments where something happens and you're like, you just get so happy, so thrilled for the person. Then you're like, okay, maybe I did like that person. You know, like when Shalane won New York, it was just like, I thought I was relatively objective in my thinking about, you know, like, oh, it'd be great if anyone won. But when she won, it just felt like such a victory. And I think a lot of people felt that way. But it's like you don't realize that, that you're actually pulling for them that much until they do something amazing. All right. So I want to open this up. I have a few brilliant listener questions, if you're all up for it. And, and to be honest, they're like, they're better than most of my questions. So a couple listener questions. Um, we touched on this earlier a little bit, but do you do any of you fear retribution from certain corporations, agents, coaches, or anyone that you might write critically of? And does it ever hold you back? Uh, this is Lindsay talking from the Times. I mean, I guess I thought about that as I was doing the Nike thing. And I think if that were to happen, it would say more about the people that I enjoy covering, um, but feel no professional obligation to cover. So I would hope that the industry looks at it as a way, like looked at that as a case study of how people can improve uh, in the positive ways that the sports industry can make women make way for women broadly, as opposed to something where they would want retribution. I think if they did want retribution, that would be interesting to know as well. All right, Allison, this next question's for you. With the huge resurgence of women's professional running, how long do you think it will take for women in coaching to catch up? Are they not given a chance or is the lifestyle self-selecting? And in, then in parentheses, I know Allison has great thoughts on this. Oh, no. <laughs> no pressure. Well, there's no way I'm going to answer the how long will it take to catch up. But um, I was listening to something recently where they actually said women aren't catching up right now. And I thought that was an interesting statistic and kind of depressing. But um, I, I think in running, you do see, I'm seeing more um, young head coaches, especially like having babies and think like it's when I was going into coaching, um, like, I don't know, 15 years ago, there was, you know, like Dina Evans was just leaving coaching. She had been the Stanford head coach and she was writing a lot of um, articles about why she was leaving. And it was kind of like, I read those and I thought, okay, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be the one who sticks with it. And I, in the end, I wasn't. But I think the more of them there are, the more people are recognizing, like, this is what we might need to do. Like, we might need to let this woman who was, one of the coaches was like pumping in a shed during a track meet recently. And, um, you know, you need to let the, you know, like the lifestyle work with the coaching lifestyle. And I think we're seeing we are seeing more um, women who are taking on those roles and in, in a little bit more of the head coaching position, which we haven't seen in the past. There's been plenty of women all along, but they would get the assistant positions and then um, not necessarily move up. So I think we have, I think that's one of the areas we have the, the biggest, you know, like the, the most work to do still. And I think a lot of it has to do with the athletic directors because they're the ones often doing the hiring. Um, but I do, I do see it moving a little bit in, in collegiate cross country and track. But I, I also think when people talk about women in college coaching, they're not thinking about the fact, like you can talk about being a basketball coach, you can talk about being 
any other sport coach, but we're the only sport that is all, all, all the time because we've got cross country, indoor track, and outdoor track. So there really is no off season. So I think it is definitely a more punishing lifestyle, whether you're a man or a woman. Um, but if you want to have kids, then it's definitely something you have to, you have to be at an institution that's willing to work with you on some level, both for the men and for the women, but um, there are definitely issues that are unique to women. Well, Lindsay, you coined the, val- the very brilliant term, the Shalane effect, after Shalane Flanagan won New York, uh, that she was bringing all these women up with her. Might we see a Shalane effect with coaching, with you know her starting to coach with Bowerman? Do we think that could happen? Uh, I think on the Bowerman team, you absolutely could see it. I mean, I did a panel um, through the Times at the Boston Marathon, um, and Shalane was on it. It was with a bunch of the elite uh, female runners, and it was just kind of showcasing, like, leadership styles. And again, all the kind of interesting kind of thought leadership that I do think uh, many of them have. And Shalane was kind of like, yeah, thanks a lot, Lindsay. You guys really, like, set us up for... um, you know, we really got to follow through at this Olympic trials. Um, and But I, at the same time, I think that there's a lot of possibility there. I think it's been cool to kind of watch them, um, you know, on social media. Like, they all have their injuries. Like, it's not like it's a straight shot. Um, it's not like it's a sure bet. Um, but I do think that... Um, you know, when you do have a team and you do have a captain, which I think she's, you know, an, objectively the de facto captain there, um, whether that's in coaching form or teammate form, um, kind of leading the way and expecting something of you in kind of a lateral and longitudinal way, um, it works out. And so, you know, perhaps that will, and I think if it works with Shalane, that's got to be scalable, right? Um, It's a cool new opportunity for champions to potentially give back when their, you know, own own bodies are, you know, have have, uh, achieved what they can. All right. Talk to me about getting runners to talk about specific training plans. I know a couple weeks ago, months ago, I have no concept of time, but it was such a big deal that Scott Fobble's training was on Strava. People were losing their minds over it because, oh my God, we know what his workouts are. Are you finding that in the stories that you're writing and reporting? Are people willing to share the pro runners? Are they willing to share their specific training plans or workouts or are they all pretty secretive? I think, and Sarah, you can jump in here too. I think um, I've never had a problem having athletes tell me what their training's been. I mean, there's been a few here and there who are a little bit more secretive, but like, I I don't know. It's funny that everybody would go crazy. I mean, I, I don't think everybody puts it online like Northern Arizona Elite does. Um, their training plans are like right out there. Um, but if I've ever, I don't think I've ever had somebody just tell me that they're not going to tell me what they've done, you know, for a story. Yeah. Um, I I mean, if with the pros, I would agree. Like basically I'm trying to think I, I, it's just a matter of like, I love geeking out over that stuff, but I feel like actually too much minutia, um, turns off our readers sometimes. So we have to just be careful of like how much we give them. But like, Erin, I remember when you did a story about Emily Infeld's cross training, how she basically cross trained her way onto the Olympic team. And that was really, that was during the trials mm-hmm. in 2016. That was really interesting. I don't know. It's just like a training log essentially. So, I mean, some people are open about it. I, Jordan Hesse is sometimes a little, no, she, she'll tell you. I think she'll basically tell you. I've been trying to get up there to Nike to like watch her workout and that hasn't worked out really, but I'm going to try again. Um, and 
there the high school athlete that I brought up before, Caitlin Tui from New York State, who's kind of like this phenom, although now I feel like there are three or four girls that are like almost as good. Allison could, I don't know, those Pennsylvania girls, Allison, are they like right there? Sorry, in, in the mile, that would be a very good race right now. Yeah. So she, I asked her at like Nike Cross Nationals what her mileage was like, and she said that was kind of, she kind of joked. She's like, that's kind of top secret. Like they don't like to go, her parents are very careful about keeping her you know, just limiting her media exposure. And I mean, her coach will talk, but they're, they keep that pretty close to the vest. But I think with a high school athlete, you know, you can, you can cut them a lot of slack for that. So. And the high school athletes in general don't do a lot of media and press, right? I mean, I think that's true in a lot of sports that their, their coaches, parents are protective of not putting all that pressure on them and setting them up. Is that part of the Caitlin Tui thing too? from what I've gathered. I mean, Allison, you can talk about this a little bit. It's just like you've written about, you know, it's just people with high school girls, especially are just so eager to, you know, tell them that they're doing it wrong and that they're going to burn out. But I I mean, the contrast to that, I think would be um, the Luden Valley. Am I saying that correctly? Allison, the team. I say Loudon uh, in my head, but I don't say Loudon in your head. (laughs) Um, They've won NX in the last two years, and the boys and um, the coaches will tell you anything you want to know. Like, they'll put, I'm blanking on their names right now, but it's Drew Hunter's parents. Yeah, Joan Hunter and... Yeah, they'll just put it all right out there, which is kind of cool, too. What is the biggest struggle right now when it comes to covering women's running? Well, at the New York Times, it's getting it in the New York times. Um, but, uh, in terms of actually reaching the athletes, it's, it's a delight. It's never been a more exciting thing to kind of cover and bring to a broad audience. And when you say it's getting it in the New York times, are you always pitching stuff and it's met with like, Oh, we're not sure people want to read that. Or what does that look like? Actually, I wouldn't say that. Um, to me, it's that I wouldn't want to write something that, would this is actually probably symptomatic of other issues um, in terms of just like gender and coverage in general, but I don't really want to write something about women's running that isn't going to like win on the most popular list. And so it's kind of like figuring out what those stories are, like what those heavy hits are and coming up with those. Um, but at, But the more I've done it, the more that there is that could be on that list. Um, And I think that's been really cool. And that's part of, again, all the work of all of the other women on this podcast is like kind of coming up with those stories and all of us kind of working together to come up with those like bigger, like what's the, what's the bigger point behind these like smaller incremental hits. So it actually struck me, and I know you mentioned it earlier, but I had read this somewhere else that you mentioned it, which was that you had been working on that New York Times piece for a year. I think that shocks a lot of people to know that like, we live in this age of very quick journalism, of news write-arounds, which I'm putting in air quotes, that you know one person writes a story and everyone else covers the story with no additional reporting, that mm-hmm. you spent one year researching, reporting, producing, making all this happen. Yeah. I'm curious for Sarah and Aaron in particular, have you had other stories? You've done a lot of long form stuff as well. Have you had stories that you've worked on for that long? Um, I wish that I have worked at places where we had the resources to let me or Sarah or somebody else work on something for a year. We just, 
you know, especially right now for me at Women's Running, we have a very thin staff and, you know, a budget that isn't huge. And so the reporter in me would love to go do something for a year and, and have an extraordinary result come out of it like Lindsay had. Um, but unfortunately, that's just, it's not feasible um, at, you know, a small publication. So that's kind of the dream to, it to is get a dream. to really I'm very jealous. <laughs> well, I, I would I would say to counter to temper your um, jealousy that my full time job at the time <laughs> on producing our short documentary series is just weekly. So this was like a lot of like 11 a.m. on Alicia Montano's time in California and like one or one or two a.m. my time. Oh in God. Um, kind of talking it out so it's definitely like the times does not have a full-time um uh endurance sports reporter post um I, and I, anything I do on it is sort of like a kind of compromised freelance basis just because I really care about it and I'm in like running a lot myself so I'm kind of paying attention and thinking about this stuff a lot but I, I wish that we too allowed um people to do this during the working hours <laughs> Well, you're all runners. Is it ever hard to go to these races and cover them and not be out there? Are you ever at the Boston Marathon in the in the press area wishing like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of wish I were out there running it? Yeah, <laughs> that happens a lot to me. Yeah, I mean, less so. My, my running's been a little hit or miss in the past few years, so less so um, now, but certainly when I first started, I was, I was definitely jealous. What is something that you each wish more people understood about the work that you're doing that it takes yeah that it takes time to do it right and that like we're really careful and that i don't know we try to get both sides of the story like i think people don't i don't know i think people don't realize that sometimes you know um it's it's not like all easy and fun and you know wow look at this great person you know there's there's just a lot of work that goes into it and i don't know we take it really seriously and i just i don't think people necessarily appreciate that sometimes yeah i guess for me like um like when i did write that article about the chalane flanagan effect like i wasn't even in new york watching the marathon i was like in the Reykjavik airport um uh, on my way back from a work trip from my full-time job in Germany and a layover and it was a snowstorm. And so my friend in DC FaceTimed me in to watch Shalane win. Um, and it was really exciting. And then um, I was running my own marathon the next week, but just really wanted to write that article. And so it was like another kind of like up till 2 a.m. situation. It's like, we're not doing this because we're making money or because we're getting a lot of awards or because um, we because these are like prestigious jobs necessarily, like in the broader um, scope of sports reporting, um, like there's not the mantle for that, but, but we're doing it because we love it. And because we think that these stories, we connect to these stories personally, and we want to at least connect with the women out there that also care about these stories and want them told. And ideally to the people that are not the obvious subjects, but we're not doing it because like, there's any greater incentive than loving the sport and caring about the stories that it represents. Allison, talk to me about putting fast women together and what your goal is. What's top of your mind? Is it just, yeah, what, what are you thinking of when you're doing the newsletter and what do you hope that people are getting from it? Um, I think my main goal is just to create more women's running fans and have, you know, more people in the pack be able to talk about what's going on at the front of the pack. Um, because like I know that when I go running with my local friends, like I cannot talk to any of them about any of this stuff. And 
I don't know. I like, I, I, I've always been kind of sad that like you, it's totally normal to like be a totally crazy football fan. And like, I'm in, you know, the Boston area. So we have all of our passionate Boston sports fans. And then it's like, you know, but you're strange if you're into women's running. And I, I, you know, I want to make the fan base bigger. I also want to, you know, motivate people, um, to write the articles that aren't being written, um, do the coverage, you know, like, I, I feel like I'm just sort of like, maybe if I put this out there, maybe someone will <laughs> latch onto this and, and cover that. So um, really just, I, I, like in, in initially it was just about helping more people follow the sport, um, but because I do see that, that there's more of a, a potential audience for it than there has, ever has been before. Um, but I think there's also, you know, more that we can do on the coverage side as well. And what about for each of you when you're writing these pieces and reporting on them, no matter what it is, what's the ultimate kind of success, you know, leveler for you? Is it that a story goes viral? Is it that, you know, a certain someone might see it, read it, tweet about it? What to you for something you're working on? I know this is so broad, but what to you would say, like, what would validate it of like, oh, okay, yeah. I crushed that one. I think Lindsay is crushing it right now and you can see it because journalism <laughs> is making a difference. And I think that's like the ultimate, I don't know what Lindsay would say, but I think that's the ultimate, like writing a story and having change come at, about as a result. Lindsay, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think to me, it's like, again, I, I, I love women's running. I, re, I relate to a lot of the runners um, that we report on. It just, you know, just, Every, the, that's the cool thing about the sport is that we all understand this experience of pushing yourself really hard in a race and the mental tenacity that it takes to accomplish that and to do something that you never thought you could do. And I think the idea of being able to elevate these women that are doing incredible things and getting that on the, um, you know, getting like broader people to talk about them um, and ideally getting them to stand for something more than just just the race um, is a cool accomplishment. And um, again, kind of like a transgressive way of getting female athletes in front of people that are more inclined, you know, potentially to see women as, you know, sexual symbols um, or, you know, beautiful. Um, and they, women can be all these things, but we're also champions. We're also winners. And um, I think women's running, there's been no better time to present women that way than now. Is there something that you've covered, written, something someone has said that has changed each of your lives personally? I mean, for me personally, um, this isn't quite a coverage situation, but just watching the all the women going for the Olympic marathon trials qualifier right now and all of the different ways that women are getting there and women that, you know, weren't maybe the fastest kids in high school, um, haven't been champions their entire life, but are transforming themselves, you know, as, as I think it was Aaron that was saying, you know, stepped away from running and came back to it and got better than ever. That's always, that's a narrative that a lot of us experience or hope to experience in our lives in so many different ways, but running really casts it into very stark relief. And I found that, um, I think runner's world and women's running are doing in, and of course, uh, fast women as well are doing incredible jobs of covering every single one of those women and turning each of them into celebrities. This is something I would never be able to do with the New York Times, but I eat that stuff up and find it so motivational and so inspiring and just like a really cool 
like massive Venn diagram of all the different ways that women continue to, you know, push themselves and evolve and win um, on their own terms. And I just think that's been one of the coolest stories. And it's been so cool to see like each individual woman celebrated for her own path. Um, and that's been cool. Do we know how many women right now have qualified to run in the trials? I haven't looked this week. I think it was 302 the last time I checked. Yeah. It's over 300. I know that. And do they all get to, or is there a cap? How does that work? They all have a cap. That's awesome. As long as there's not some like last minute change. Well, right. (laughs) I imagine at this late date they would do that, but um, I'm just looking. Oh, it's up to 304. No, 308 total women, 304 by the marathon and four by the half marathon. Man, this is what it is like recording with real journalists. You ask a question and you get that answer verified on the spot. This is, this is a treat for me. (laughs) All right. What are the odds that I can get each of you? Normally I do a sprint to the finish. We're not going to do that today, but I'm wondering if you would each be willing to give 2020 marathon predictions. Who do you each have as your top three right now? Oh boy. Who wants to go first? Uh, I'll give you, (laughs) I will give you Emily Sisson, Jordan Hesse, and one of any other, like 10 other people. (laughs) Um, I don't know, Amy Craig or Des Linden or Molly Huddle. Good grief. I have no I, <laughs> What do you um, think? I'm going to go, this is, I hate doing this because it's going to come back to bite me at some point, but um, just for fun, I will say Jordan Hesse, Emily Sisson, and Kellen Taylor. Ooh, I like that. Lindsay Allison, any predictions? Um, I almost don't care because I just think it's going to be like the coolest race ever. I think the Olympic trials, I mean, let's run talks about this all the time, but I totally agree. It's the American dream. I would say probably just if you look at times, Emily Sisson, Jordan Hesse, and then just because Shalane seems to feel this and I think what Shalane thinks tends to um, come true, uh, uh, probably Amy Craig. I think we have to wait and find out because I think that somebody's going to get injured before then and they may be the best person or something. Something's going to happen where somebody's scrambling to make the team, whether we know it or not. So I think there's going to be some last minute twists here, perhaps. Well, we know Allison no matter. White is the voice of reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And we know that no matter what happens, how it plays out, that the four of you will be the best voices to cover it. Like I said, I admire you all so much. I could keep you here for six days talking to you and picking your brains, uh, but really just so much gratitude for elevating women's running for the everyday runner like myself and like a lot of women who I know are listening here. We're not pros. A lot of us aren't running at the trials, um, you know. We just do this because we love it, and it's really cool to have women to admire, and you're the ones elevating those voices and being those voices. So thank you for all the great work that you do and and for doing this, spending your night with me tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Allie. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Allie on the Run show. Erin, Lindsay, Sarah, Allison, thank you for this conversation. 
I wanted to keep the four of them on the line forever, but I promised I wouldn't take more than an hour of their very precious time. So I'd love to expand this format and turn it into a live show. Would that be cool? Would that be fun? Would you come to that? Let me know. You can find me at Allie on the Run one on Instagram and Twitter and on the Allie on the Run Facebook page. If you're loving what you're hearing here, the very best way to pay it forward is by leaving a rating and review for the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Yes, they are the same thing. I know. If you're one of the nearly 700 people who have already left a review, thank you so much. And if you're not yet, I would be so grateful if you'd join that group. Finally, let's give a big round of applause and some flashy happy jazz hands to Aftershocks for sponsoring this episode of the Alley on the Run show. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off wireless headphone endurance bundles. Now, go follow Lindsay, Allison, Sarah, and Erin. Read their work, subscribe to it, share it, support it. And thank you for joining me on the run.